What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? On the half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin here. Kyle, what a fucking divisional weekend, bro. Dude, this weekend was absolutely insane in the NFL. We had some great games to go through. Every single game ended on the last play, whether it was a game-winning field goal or Patrick Mahomes, uh, game-winning touchdown to Travis Kelsey. Just the results from this weekend, bro, were insane, bro. The amount of scenes that were shown, bro, insane. You ready to dive into these topics, though? Oh, yeah. All right, so first things first, we're going to start with some of the Sunday games that took place first, the first one being the Rams and the Buccaneers game. The Rams did win that game over the Bucks beating Tampa by the score of 30-27. to 27. With the win, they advanced to the NFC Championship game. They will be hosting that in SoFi Stadium. So we'll dive into that game a little bit once we get rolling into the episode. After that, Kevin and I are going to bring up the controversial topic of whether or not that we believed that the Rams versus Buccaneers game looked to be fixed. Granted, this is... Just pure speculation on our, on our part. We have really no evidence to support that whatsoever. We're just basing that topic based on what we saw transpire in that game. So that'll be an interesting topic to go over. After that, we're going to transition to the Bills and Chiefs game, which, to be quite honest with you, is probably without a doubt the game of the year. The Chiefs win an overtime thriller over the Bills, winning by the score of 42 to 36. Both Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes played absolutely outstanding, but the Chiefs do advance to the AFC Championship game. This is the fourth year in a row that the Chiefs will host an AFC Championship game. They are the first team in NFL history to do that, so we'll dive into that game a little bit. After that, we are going to talk about the Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes quarterback matchup. It was one that lived up to the hype. Both quarterbacks played absolutely outstanding, and we're going to talk about whether or not that we see this as a new quarterback rivalry moving forward that can basically rival what Brady and Manning did back when they played against each other back in the day. After that, we'll transition into some of the Saturday games, the first one being the 49ers and Packers. The 49ers went on the road, shocked the world, beating the number one seeded Packers. It was a really cold game. It was like 12 degrees, 10 degrees throughout most of the game. But the 49ers won that game on a game-winning field goal, so we'll dive into that game a little bit. After that, the Packers find themselves on the short end of the stick. They are out of the playoffs once again, this time a little bit earlier than last year. And we'll talk about whether or not that this was potentially Aaron Rodgers' last game as a Green Bay Packer. That'll definitely be fun to talk about. And then the last game that we'll have to talk about in our episode today, the Bengals and the Titans. Uh, the Bengals defeated the Titans on the road, defeating the number one seeded Titans by the score of 19-16. They won that game on a game-winning field goal. Kind of a back-and-forth game, especially towards the later stages of that game. But the Bengals do advance to the AFC Championship game where they will face the Kansas City Chiefs. After that, we are going to talk about really the offensive line woes that were quite apparent in that win over the Titans. The Titans, despite the loss, had nine sacks against Joe Burrow. And we'll talk about whether or not 
that Joe Burrow can overcome those offensive line woes as the Bengals will travel to KC to face the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. So that is the agenda that we have for you guys. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to it, and let's dive into this Rams and Buccaneers game. So the Rams defeated the Tampa Bay Buccaneers by the score of 30-27. to They won on a game-winning field goal by Matt Gay. With the win, the Rams advanced to the NFC Championship game. And it was a fantastic game. The Rams got up early. The Bucs made a huge comeback in the later stages of that game. But the Rams were able to stave off a massive comeback by Tom Brady and the Bucs to advance to the NFC Championship game. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, what do you make of the Rams advancing to the NFC Championship game after defeating the Tampa Bay Bucks in the divisional round? Well, I mean, it, it was uh, it was not a shock for me. I picked the Rams to win on our Thursday episode or Friday morning episode, so I was actually two for two this weekend. Um, this game only shocked me because of what we're going to talk about next in terms of how the game flow actually went with the Rams jumping out as big as they did and as early as they did and the Bucks struggling as much as they did, it really led me to believe that the Rams just came out more prepared. I feel like they came out ready to fire. They came out um, with like a sense of urgency. I guess they were kind of over the narrative. Can they continue this dominance like they did against Arizona last week? And I just felt like they had more to prove. I mean, Matthew Stafford knows he was acquired for this particular instance, for this reason, to compete against the best teams in the NFL. And, of course, knocking out the defending champs doesn't hurt uh, Matthew Stafford's confidence nor the the Rams appearance as a team to actually be contending or worth contending should I say but uh, overall Rams defense looks absolutely absolutely phenomenal Von Miller was a man amongst men excuse me a man amongst boys and I mean it, it, it just it really looked like for the first two and a half quarters that this was going to be an absolute shit show for Tampa they just they couldn't get it going Tom couldn't get into a rhythm the run game couldn't really get it going um, the defense was just getting torched in the secondary. Obviously, we all know Tampa's rush defense is top in the league for a reason. They had thirty. The Rams had thirty attempts for seventy-three total rushing yards. That's two point four per carry. Everybody knows if you're going to beat Tampa, it's not going to be on the ground. So, uh, big, big, big kudos to uh, the Rams for holding on. And um, you know, we will see how they bode against the San Francisco 49ers next week. We know that the Niners are two and zero against the Rams this year. So, curious to see how it goes. Yeah, this game really was a tale of two halves just because the Rams got off to such a tremendous start. It could have even gotten more to a better start for the Rams had Cam Akers not fumbled the ball in the red zone towards the later stages of the second quarter. But to me, the Rams survived in this game, and there's really no other way to say it. So, like I said, the Rams got off to a really great start, but then the Rams just had all of these turnovers in the second half i mean they had five fumbles in this game five they lost four of them and you give tom brady and that buccaneers offense that many chances that is why Tampa was able to come back in this game and and make it one towards the later stages in the fourth quarter now granted for tampa it didn't work out at the end of the game because despite giving up a 27 to 3 lead Matt Stafford was able to rally around his troops and was able to connect on Cooper Cup. The biggest pass being that freaking 30 to 40 yard bomb that 
got the Rams in the range to kick that game-winning field goal after the Bucks had just tied the game 27-27 to on a fourth and one where Leonard Fournette ran it in. So I got to give a lot of credit to the Rams for being able to find some sort of way to win this game when they looked like they were trying to give that game away at every single turn in the later stages of the third and pretty much the entire fourth quarter. And moving forward, to me, the Rams look like a Super Bowl contending team. When I look at that defense, that defense was absolutely outstanding. They were getting a consistent and just hellacious pass rush against Tom the entire game. It did taper off in the third and fourth quarter. The Bucs were running a hurry-up offense, so that pass rush wasn't getting home as much as it did. But they were still able to get pressure on Tom. They were able to even get a strip sack against him. Just that pressure that the Rams front four brought against Tampa was really the decisive factor for being able to slow down Tampa, despite the fact that Tampa scored 27 points. Because if that pass rush did not get the pass rush that they did, the Rams could be sitting looking on the inside out at this point or looking at the outside in at this point and Tampa could be advancing. So you have to give a lot of credit to Von Miller, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd. Those guys came to play against the Bucks, and you got to give the Rams a lot of credit. They were able to weather the storm and they were able to make the plays that needed to be made at the end of the game. And that's why the Rams are advancing to the NFC championship game and the Bucks are headed home. So, I'm just going to jump into it quickly, only because it's, it's, it's on point to what we're talking about. Uh, this next segment is, again, our personal opinion. And for those of you that don't know us personally, I'm definitely more of the uh, conspiracy theorist out of the two of us. Not that I'm even a major one at that, but I knew that this was something that seemed to be a little bit far-fetched. And when Kyle agreed with me, I knew right off the bat that we needed to make a segment about this because this game just... It didn't take a turnaround. It didn't take like a tilt. It wasn't a momentum shift. It was 100% a whole different game. Now, I know what a lot of people are saying. Well, Kev, that happens. A team gets hot. You know, like, you know, a team comes out flat in the second half. None of those things are true. The Rams scored with seven minutes and seven seconds to go in the third quarter, making it 27 to three. Has Tom Brady come back before? We all know that he's capable and has done it before in even bigger scales. Uh, you know, example being the Super Bowl against the fucking Falcons. This has nothing to do with that. Because every time the Buccaneers got the ball, the Rams found a way to stop them naturally. The fact that the Rams genuinely imploded upon themselves with the amount of fumbles that they had and miscues on the offensive side of the ball with penalties and everything of that sort, it made it look like this was something that the league was trying to enforce to make it a closer game than what it needed to be because some of these fumbles and turnovers just seemed a little silly. And I get it, you know, mistakes can happen. But Kyle, you know, I know, again, I know I started this off with I'm normally the one to think out of the box like this. But for you to say what you said, did you feel that this game was a little bit closer than what it should have been with maybe some outlying circumstances? Look, I was watching the entire Bucks and Rams game from beginning to end. And the way that I thought the game would have played out was once the Rams got up to 27 to three, I thought that the Bucks would have been able to put up, you know, maybe some garbage time points, kind of, you know, make it a closer game, but really 
the Rams were decisively winning that game through pretty much two and a half, you could even say damn near three quarters. And then for some odd reason, the Rams could not hold on to the football. Kevin, I've watched a lot of football games in my time. I've played in football games throughout my time. I have never seen a team fumble the ball as bad as they did in perfect weather conditions than the Rams did against the Bucs. I've never seen anything like it. To me, listen, it is pure speculation to think whether or not that game was fixed between both the Rams and the Bucks. But from my perspective, it kind of tended to be in the possibility that I thought that that game was somewhat fixed. Because, look, they weren't playing in Lambeau Field where it was like 10 degrees outside, it's snowing, and just the weather conditions are playing a factor. In Tampa, it was in the maybe like high 50s, low 60s with perfect weather conditions. And yet, for some odd reason, the Rams could not hold on to the football. I mean, five total fumbles from the Rams. They lost four of them. I've never seen a team be so careless with ball security throughout my entire life in one single game than the Rams were in that NFC Divisional game. And it just some of these plays that happened were just so odd. I mean, Kevin, the Rams strip-sacked Tom in the fourth quarter. And then the next play, the Rams center doesn't know the snap count and snaps it when Matt Stafford is making an audible at the line of scrimmage. And freaking Matt's got to run 25, 30 yards back to try to scoop up the ball. He doesn't do it. The Bucks get the ball back. And I think they end up scoring a touchdown on the next drive. Or at least a field goal. I forget how uh, the game played out in that particular moment. But I know they scored after. And then when you look at the end of the game, after Brady hit up uh, Mike Evans on that uh, 55-yard touchdown uh, where he beat Jalen Ramsey, Second and six, Cam Akers has already fumbled the ball once in the game, and then he fumbles it again. It just, it, it was kind of funny because in my head I'm thinking it's like, something's going to happen here. I don't know what it was. I don't know the sense that I had in my head was. But it's like, I got a feeling that something is going to happen where the Bucks get the ball back in some sort of dramatic fashion. And sure enough, Cam Akers fumbles the ball on second and six. The Bucs get the ball back. They end up scoring on that drive to tie it 27 to 27. And now it's a it, now it's a game. Now, granted, the Rams did win that game. But to me, had the Rams lost that game, the amount of people that would have been screaming that that game was fixed would even be louder than what it is currently. Because I've seen Tom, I've seen him do these amazing comebacks before. But to me, this seemed a little too much. This seemed a little bit too far-fetched the way that it played out, in my personal opinion. I agree completely. It just it, it looked so weird that we're talking about the Rams. They didn't come out flat in the second half. They scored. Not in their first drive, but they scored. Their defense was still doing everything they needed to do in order to stop a very hot, dominant, and obviously resurgent 
uh, offense that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's not an easy feat. And for you to tell me that they're going to fumble four straight times on multiple possessions to a point where you're like, bro, are you kidding me? Your, your, your offensive line is one of the better ones in the league. You don't know the snap count and some of the most serious plays. And again, I understand mistakes can be made, but over and over and over, like consistently it happened. Like, I mean, like, I think the actual final four drives ended, or excuse me, the final like seven drives were just absolutely ridiculous. And I'm just sitting here like, hold on a second. Hold on, I have the actual pin tweet right here. The Rams' final seven drives ended in a fumble, punt, Fumble, missed field goal, punt, fumble, and then they win the game with a field goal. That's three fumbles in seven possessions and a missed field goal. In which, that in and of itself, once again, beautiful weather, no wind. Your all-pro, pro bowl kicker can't make the distance of a 47-yard field goal. I'm pretty sure Matt Gay's career long is somewhat in the 55-yard range. And I've seen him make some pretty damn good field goals this season. You're going to shorthand a 47-yarder? 47. No win. Just It's things like that. Jalen Ramsey, best corner in the NFL. One-on-one coverage, Mike Evans. Is Mike Evans one of the better receivers in the league? Absolutely. Did Tom Brady put a dime on him? Absolutely. You're going to tell me on a go route, you're just going to let Mike blow by you. Like, and I mean like, just right by you. Like, he didn't open your hips in time. Like, just, okay. Like, he, he literally, like, looked at Mike as he scored, like, like, what, like he was just, like, kind of sad. But his demeanor, he wasn't, like, angry. He wasn't, like, what the fuck? Like, he didn't trip. He didn't fall. Mike didn't hit him with a double move. Like, there was too many things that just looked to be, like, this just happened at this time, and you're going to make me think that this is completely not planned. And, again, Mistakes happen, man. I, I understand. I'm not a Buccaneers fan. I am not a Rams fan. I'm not a Buccaneers hater. I'm not a Rams hater. Do I not like Tom Brady? Yes. But the fact that Tom still had a pretty bad game should show you it definitely wasn't a Tom Brady-led comeback. It was the Rams literally stepping on their own dicks. And I use the air quotes very, very lightly because we all know, and by we all, I mean me, Kyle, and a couple of other people that I've spoken to, believe that this game had to be made more entertaining. They maybe had to cover their spread for Vegas because if this would have proceeded, this would have been an annihilation of no other to a defending Super Bowl champion at home, the number two seed, and a quarterback who's really only had two or three meaningful playoff football games because obviously Matt Stafford prior to winning last week was 0-3 in the playoffs prior to uh, coming to L.A. You're going to tell me Matt Stafford and this team just roll around and just fuck up five straight times or seven straight drives? Excuse me, I should say six because the game-winning field goal was the, the seventh drive. So I don't know, man. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Me and Kyle are sticking with it. And the best part is, like I said at the beginning of it, Normally, I'm the one that thinks like this, and when Kyle agreed with me, I knew for a fact I wasn't going crazy. But again, congratulations to the Rams. They found a way to get it done. Cooper Cup was a baller. The Rams' secondary sucks. and that I mean, excuse me, the Bucks' secondary sucks. That's not going to change. And yeah, uh, people are trying to make the narrative. Is this Tom's final game? There's no shot Tom Brady loses like this in this fashion. Tom Brady led the league in passing and, the, and broke the NFL record in completions for a quarterback. And led the league in touchdown passes at 44. No. 
not retiring. And the, the 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 Bucks also played with a battered offensive line. No, this isn't it. And without Chris Godwin, no shot. Tom's not walking off on a loss. Not like this. No, I, I mean, whether you not that whether or not that you thought that that game was fixed, to me, he still played decent. Did they lose? Yeah. Yes. Did he suck in the first half? Yes. Yes. But in the second half, I thought the Buccaneers made some decent adjustments to help better protect him. They definitely were trying to limit that pass rush from Aaron Donald and Von Miller. And even despite the adjustments that they made, the Rams were still getting a very good pass rush. But to me, when you look at the extenuating circumstances that the Bucs were facing in that game, clearly the offensive line was battered with injuries. The fact that Chris Godwin was not there did not help them. The fact that Antonio Brown there uh, was not there did not help them. And really just as a whole, despite the fact that they were getting shellacked in the first half, they were able to come back and make it a competitive game. And even though they ended up losing, it showed me that that team still has fight. It still shows me that Tom still has fight because I think if the Bucks had just laid down and died once it was 27 to three, then maybe you could say, yeah, maybe Tom is, you know, really going to consider possible retirement this offseason. But to me, he's still playing at an extremely high level. The guy could end up being the NFL MVP for all we know in a couple weeks. And I don't see any sort of precipitous drop-off in performance. I see a bunch of extenuating circumstances that Tom can't control contributing to why he did not play well for at least half the game against the Rams. So I think all in all, I know Tom was kind of non-committal about his status going into next year. I think more than likely he was probably just focused on the game against the Rams in the NFC divisional round. But I would be absolutely shocked if that was his last game, if he goes out on that. I just, I, I saw too much fight left in him to say, yeah, it's over. It's done with. He's going to retire. I Honestly, that Titans game that they lost the year uh, after they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl, where they lost in the, in the wild card round, that would have been a game to probably retire on because that game was atrocious. But knowing his competitive spirit, the nature that he just possesses possesses to go out on the field and perform, I don't think he's walking away on that. I, I just don't see it. No, not at all. Tom's not ending it on that. Greatest quarterback of all time, one of the most competitive athletes in our modern history and in history. He's not walking off on an embarrassing game like that. So, you know, obviously there's some other games that we, we, we got to touch on. And I mean, man, this next one. Oh my dude. God! This this next one. Kyle, take 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 that take that away, bro. Because I'm gonna stutter dude. on my own words. Dude, it's basically a straight fact at this point that the Bills and Chiefs game in the AFC divisional round was without a doubt the game of the year. The Chiefs win an overtime thriller by the score of forty-two to thirty-six. I I know we'll dive into the game and just the particulars of it in a second, but. I've got to give it up to both the Bills and the Chiefs for providing one of the most exciting playoff games I've ever seen. We've seen some good ones in the past. We saw the Packers and the Cardinals put up a 51-45 to scoring performance 
in one of the, um, I think it was either the wild card round or the divisional round uh, earlier in Aaron Rodgers' career. I mean, the Eagles and the Patriots in Super Bowl 52, the Eagles winning that one 41 to 33. This game with the Chiefs and the Bills, absolutely phenomenal. There's no other way to say it. It was a great game. I hope you guys got to watch it because it did not disappoint in any way, shape, or form. But like I said, the Chiefs won this one by the score of 42-36. to They advance to the AFC Championship game where they will face off against the Cincinnati Bengals. But Kevin, I got to pose this question to you, man. With the Chiefs beating the Bills in probably the game of the year, are the Chiefs looking like the team to beat in the AFC? I think so, man. Obviously, with only two teams left, and that being the Bengals and the Chiefs. Uh, obviously, you know, the last time those two teams played, the Bengals ended up coming out on top. You, you got to give the little bit of leverage to the Chiefs in that scenario. Um, I know that we're going to talk about the Bengals later. I know that I made a bold prediction to say that the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. Um, I'm going to stand by that pick just for the sake of, you know, keeping my word. I think that they're going to come prepared and a little bit more adjusted. But in terms of right now, uh, statistically, yes, I would definitely say that the Chiefs are for sure the team to beat because that offense is something else. They were completely unstoppable in that final two to three minutes of that fourth quarter and, of course, that last drive in overtime. Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, I mean, you name it, they were open. You name it, Andy Reid found a way to get his playmaker the ball. And Patrick Mahomes is truthfully and honestly the best quarterback in the NFL. It's not a question how he can do it with his arm, with his legs, you know, uh, his God-given athletic ability to just be able to put the ball in places that, you know, not a lot of other quarterbacks can. So I just think that that, that, that firepower, excuse me, that high, wow, that high-powered offense is just too much for anybody to stop. And the Bills' number one rated pass defense and number one rated overall defense could not even get a, get a, get a, get a, get a little feather on anybody defensively on that last couple of drives. So, dude, Kansas City ain't no joke. Kyle made a point months ago that this was going to end up being the same result. And, I mean, nailed it on the head, bro. I got to give it to you. Kudos to you. Yeah, I, I mean, looking at this game, I thought that the Bills would be competitive in this matchup against the Chiefs, unlike last year where the Bills got smoked by the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. But I really got to credit the Chiefs here because it really did look like the Chiefs were done after Josh Allen connected with Gabriel Davis for his fourth receiving touchdown. We'll get into that a little bit later, but I got to talk about the Chiefs here. So when Patrick Mahomes got the ball back with 13 seconds left, I remember talking to Kevin because we were watching this game live as it was going on. I said, if there's anybody to pull off a miracle to get them in field goal range, it's Pat. Patrick Mahomes was able to get that team in field goal range in 10 seconds. They went from the 25-yard line to the 30-yard line of the Bills in two plays to get 50 yards of total offense to set up Harrison Buck to set up Harrison Bucker for the game-tying field goal that sent it to overtime. And then at that point, once the Chiefs won the toss, it was game over. There's no way that that gassed Bills secondary was going to be able to hold up against the likes of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and McCole Hardman. It just, it wasn't going to happen. 
And sure enough, boom, 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 boom. Patrick hits up everybody, like I mentioned, with Hill, Kelsey, and Hardman. And then Patrick throws a dime, back shoulder pass to Travis Kelsey for the game-winning touchdown. I mean, this game by itself, I mean, there have been some fantastic performances that we had seen throughout the weekend. But to me, this is what this was without a doubt the best game of the weekend. Just the back and forth nature of this game between the Bills and the Chiefs. It was really something to, to behold. I mean, I got to talk about the Bills just for a second. I thought Josh Allen played a phenomenal game. I mean, the guy threw for 330 yards passing through four touchdowns and really didn't make that many mistakes throughout the entire course of the game. It's just that Pat was a little bit better. And Gabriel Davis, dude, he had the game of his life. Eight catches, over 200 yards receiving, four receiving touchdowns. He's the first player in NFL playoff history to have four receiving touchdowns in one game. I mean, there's not much else you could ask from from that guy. Gabriel Davis played amazing. Not even Jerry Rice could go out and do a performance like that. So... I know the Chiefs won, and I know that they're going to advance to the AFC Championship game. But the Bills, they just, they were so close. And I don't know what defensive coverages they were doing with those 13 seconds left in the game. But that defensive coverage in the last 13 seconds was absolutely horrendous. The Bills had the game won. All they had to do was just not get the Chiefs in field goal position. And the Chiefs did it in 10 seconds. The defense collapsed. There's no other way to say it. I mean, you cannot allow that to happen in the playoffs. I mean, in the regular season game, that'd be one thing. But in the playoffs, I don't know what to say. You can't allow that to happen. Yet Patrick Mahomes took advantage of it and made the most of it. And in overtime, once the Chiefs got the ball, it was game over. But great game. Kevin, I'll kick it to you from here because I can go on and on about this game. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It was just really weird, the coverages that Buffalo decided to run. I get it. We're not defensive coordinators. We're not head coaches. We're not NFL player personnel experts. We're just giving you an opinion from what we saw on the sideline from our homes, watching it on TV. But it just did look like the Bills just kind of they looked at it and they said, you know what, we're going to just run this safety, uh, this, this safe netted scheme to where we're going to leave the, the seams open because we feel like they are going to go to the sideline in order to stop the clock. It just so happens they hit Travis Kelsey up the seam for what seemed to be, what, 30-some-odd yards to put them right in field goal zone? Yeah. I mean, it just it, – it was a perfect ball. I mean, but Pat it, – it, I'm stuttering because it's like – almost unfathomable to think about any other coverage outside of a maybe two to three man rush at most. And literally you drop two to three safeties or two to three secondaries down deep. You cover the sideline and everybody else drops to cover the middle of the field. I mean, it's not that complicated because guys, if you see the replay, Travis Kelsey was wide open. There was no one within five, 10 yards of him. And it was just despicable. Because they, gave him, they gave him free yards. There's no reason why Buffalo is not moving on to the next round. Because this game was over. Josh did it. He literally left Patrick Mahomes with third, 
15 seconds, bro. You cannot ask for a better game management in that scenario. And it just, it, they just collapsed. But like you, Kyle, we can talk about this forever. And I know we got plenty of shit to talk about. But if you're Josh Allen, I just like pain, bro. Lay, pain. It's, I don't know what he could have done better, bro. Whatever he needed, needed to do, he stepped up. And the fact that he had four passing touchdowns and it's in a loss after scoring 36 points. Bro, that's going to sting. That's going to really sting. Because honestly, I thought either of these teams um, could go to the Super Bowl with the way that they played. Yeah, kudos like, to them they, for like, putting on a show, man. Yeah, I mean, just a, a great game. I hope you guys got to watch it because it was a phenomenal game. Um, we are going to keep it within this game because we've got to talk about just the quarterback rivalry that is really blossoming in front of our eyes with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it's like we stated, you know, Josh Allen had a phenomenal game, had over 325 yards passing, four touchdowns against the Chiefs. Through four of those touchdowns to Gabriel Davis, who had the game of his life. And then on the other side, Patrick Mahomes was absolutely sensational. I mean, the guy himself had 378 yards passing, three touchdowns, including the game-winning touchdown to Travis Kelsey that is going to set them up for an AFC Championship matchup against the Bengals next week. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, did last night's divisional game between the Bills and the Chiefs confirm to you that Allen versus Mahomes is the next Brady versus Manning. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind. We're talking about the two most talented arms in football, the two strongest arms in football, probably the two best quarterbacks in football. And they are meeting again for the second time in the postseason in which they provided an incredible duel. They gave us a great showing in the regular season as well. And it is turning out to be Mahomes at this point in time is, is – Tom Brady-esque, you know, being the more successful quarterback, having a Super Bowl title first, obviously having more AFC Championship appearances. And Josh Allen just seems to be falling into that Peyton-esque role where he has a successful regular season but just can't make it to that next level when it comes to passing Tom. Thankfully, both of them are very young in their own respective careers, so we should be seeing this moving forward uh, over the next decade or so. I mean, Kyle and I are hoping so. But overall, those two guys are special. Those two teams are great as long as there is a supporting cast behind them, whether that's on the defensive side or just giving those quarterbacks options to throw to. We are in for a treat for the foreseeable future, man. Yeah, I just thought that that divisional game last night between the Chiefs and the Bills was absolutely phenomenal. And it's really in part due to what Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes were able to do on the field. I mean... When you look at both of their stat lines, Kevin, I don't see anything wrong from either quarterback. I mean, Josh Allen went on the road and threw for damn near 330 yards passing through four touchdowns, one of which was with 13 seconds left to Gabriel Davis. I mean, in 99% of the time, more than likely when you throw a touchdown with 13 seconds left, to give your team the lead. It's over. Because there's no way that the opposing quarterback is going to get 
their team into scoring position unless it's on a Hail Mary for a game-winning touchdown. But when you got Patrick Mahomes, anything is possible. The guy marches down the field in two passes. One was to Tyreek Hill for about 20 yards. The next one was to Travis Kelsey for about 30 yards. And the Chiefs offense, because of Pat, was able to march down the field into field goal range in 10 seconds out of that 13 seconds. It's just, I can't believe it. No other quarterback probably would have been able to do that. Maybe the only one I could probably think of is maybe like Aaron Rodgers. But outside of that, it's only Pat. And once it got into overtime, it was Pat. Once the Chiefs won the toss, it was game over. Because, you know, Pat was sensational in overtime. Boom, boom, boom. He throws a couple passes to Travis Kelsey, throws a couple to Tyreek Hill, throws one to McCall Hardman, and throws the game-winning touchdown to Travis Kelsey that advances them to the AFC Championship game. Overall, when I look at Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, this is clearly the best quarterback matchup that we're going to see for the next decade plus. As long as these guys stay healthy and as long as these teams are relevant moving forward, which I highly believe that they will because I don't really see any sort of drop-off from either team in the near future in any way, shape, or form. This is going to be phenomenal. I don't know if it's going to top what Brady and Manning did just because Brady and Manning provided so many great moments, whether the Colts won or the Patriots won. And when that rivalry lasted as long as it did, it was phenomenal. And it's probably one of, if not the best quarterback battle that we've seen in NFL history. This one, though, between Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen is just starting. And to me, it's a new rivalry. And it has begun. And Kevin, I don't know about you, but I'm totally for it. And I can't wait to see these guys run it back again, whether it's next year or in the foreseeable future after that. No, that's facts. Both of them are phenomenal. Love watching them play. Love watching them individually, let alone when you have them matched up against one another. That is immediately musty TV. Going to be a gunslinging matchup, hands down. It's just... They played phenomenal, Kevin. Both of them. And it's just... This is one of those games where you really hate to see a loser come from this one. Because to me, they both played like champions. Both of them did. And unfortunately, the Chiefs won the toss. And and really after that, it, it was over. You know, And I know some people are probably going to bitch and moan about, oh, well, you know, the overtime rules should include the other team getting the ball back. And I'm like, I could definitely sympathize with that because the Chiefs were on the other side of that equation back in 2018 when they played the Patriots where Tom mar- marched right down the field. And then I think uh, Rex Burkhead got the game-winning touchdown in that 2018 AFC Championship game. But defense has got to make a play. But you could just tell that that Bills defense was just gassed, bro. They had no chance. And sure enough, Pat was able to connect on multiple pass plays. And I thought that back shoulder pass that he threw to Travis Kelsey was just money in the bank, bro. Couldn't have put it in a better spot. Questionable. We thought that you know maybe Ch- Kelsey had uh, had maybe bobbled it a little bit. The ball had moved did, a little bit, but once he... again, oh e- no! If, even if that had been ruled an incomplete pass, though, 
I still think the Chiefs would have scored a touchdown. They yeah, the way been, they were driving, the, the way, way they were moving, they, they wasn't going to stop. Yeah, I mean, all they would have had to do is maybe like just throw like a little screen to Tyreek and just let him kind of like make those little shakes and moves that he likes to do because God only knows the guy can make one little move and then find a way to get like two or three yards after one little move. I, I, oh, yeah. You know, because I know Bills fans are probably looking at that replay and thinking, that ball may have moved a little bit. But I, I don't think uh, I don't think it would have made that much of a difference. That play came on first down anyway. They would have had yeah. two more plays after that had they not got it. And even so, they would have been able to get a field goal. But, you know, with the way that Josh Allen was playing, if Casey only got a field goal, Josh Allen could have definitely marched down the field and got them a touchdown. Could have given Gabriel Davis his fifth touchdown, for God's sakes. Had that, had that broke down. The way he favor. was cooking. That may be probably one of the single most greatest wide receiving performances in NFL playoff history, bro. I mean, eight Cook, catches. Bro. And it was, a, it was a no, no name, too. No, he's been nice. He's like their, he's probably like, but their he's third. not like a Diggs. He's not a Dawson Knox. He's not like somebody that's like predominantly like, oh my God, we got to cover him. Like, that is like a basically an average everyday individual on that team. D- Diggs got shut down, bro. Yeah, Diggs was on lock. But, dude, that move that he made for his that third touchdown. Disgusting. Dude, I, I don't know who that corner was for KC. Bro, you got to get cut after that. That, that, that Sickening, is, bro. That Sickening. Was, bro, he made him fall. It was like a crossover from Kyrie. Like, it Sickening. was. It's like nauseating, actually, because it was so good. Uh, it's like, bro, like, mm. that might be a misdemeanor, bro. That was, that, that was disrespectful. That boy about to get charged. Criminally yeah, exactly. for making him look like a fool on national TV. Make a man fall like that. Pick him up, bro. There's a cleanup on aisle four, bro. But and with that cliche, get on to the next one. <laughs> yes, sir. So we're going to talk about the Saturday slate of games that took place in the NFL. The first one being the 49ers and the Packers game. The 49ers probably shot the world. Saturday night, beating the Green Bay Packers on a game-winning field goal, winning by the score of 13-10. to 10. The weather definitely played a factor in that game. There's no doubt about that. It was pretty much in the teens for the entire game. It started snowing in the second half, and it really did hinder both teams offensively to a pretty significant extent. Now, defensively, both teams came to play. It's just that the 49ers were able to get a couple more plays over the Packers. But really, probably the turning point of the game was that 49ers blocked punt that got a touchdown that tied the game at 10-10 and then ensuing just a couple drives later for the game-winning field goal that sends them to the NFC Championship game where they will play the Los Angeles Rams in SoFi Stadium. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, just how shocking was it for the 49ers to go on the road to Lambeau Field and upset the number one seeded Packers? I'm not going to lie. I am beyond shocked because it's something that I didn't expect. I mean, again, I did know that the 49ers are a good football team. I know that they have a tendency to go make runs. Kyle Shanahan's a a gifted offensive-minded coach. But when you really look at this and you say, damn, Aaron folded again, Green Bay folded again, it's just a tough pill to swallow, man. And I know we're going to get into our, our, our sub topic or sub um, 
you know, I can't. I'm I'm having blank thoughts right now. Sub, segment. help me out here, cop. There we go. I knew I had another ass. Damn it. When we get into our sub segment, it's going to be a little bit more detail into Aaron's future. But I'm looking at this solely, and I'm saying, damn, like the defenses here were absolutely incredible. It was a defensive battle. Jimmy was sacked four times. Aaron was sacked five times. I mean, the special teams for Green Bay just looked absolutely atrocious. They had a field goal blocked, a punt blocked. So, I mean, you know, people with the best defense typically win a lot of these games when you have that 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 gritty kind of matchup for the majority of the game. And, of course, Green Bay was up 10-3-4. to I want to say, what, like 70% of that game, Kyle? It was like a touchdown early from Green Bay. They got a field goal, and then that was about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, damn, Aaron's probably on the way out. And, again, we're going to touch on that in just a second. Um, Kyle Shanahan is probably looked at right now as one of the most – actually underrated coaches in the league. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have to do a whole lot. He only had 131 yards passing. But again, as Kyle mentioned, the weather was very annoying to deal with. It was cold, but at the same time, it did start to snow later in the second half. So that was hindering their availability or uh, ability to throw the ball down the field. And it's just, it's insane that the Green Bay folded again, man. I'm, I'm like, I'm almost in shock and kind of stuck that they just can't get through to the big game. And uh, yeah, man, when we get started on this subtopic, it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be interesting because Kyle and I are about to rip it apart. Well, yeah, I mean, as far as the game is concerned, I mean, the weather was really the biggest factor at play. Just really, either neither offense could get going in any way, shape, or form. The Packers got off to a great start. They got that. First good drive led to a touchdown. And then pretty much for the entirety of the game after that, they just couldn't get it done. But I got to give the 49ers credit because that defense, bro, they played phenomenal. Because, you know, the the one thing about the 49ers that I think has been overlooked this year is that defense. And really the pass rush that they're able to get. It's phenomenal. You know, I know a lot of attention is paid towards Guys like Nick Boza. I mean, Nick Boza is a monster. There's no doubt about that. But there's some other players that deserve to get some shine here. When I look at Eric Armstead, that dude just knows how to get after it. He brought a hellacious pass rush against that Packers offensive line and was able to get Aaron Rodgers on the ground not once, but twice for sacks to go along with what Nick Boza did. He also had two sacks as well. Just... The pressure that the 49ers defensive front was able to bring against Aaron Rodgers and that Packers offense was really a significant blow for the Packers' ability to be able to march down the field and get any sort of points from it. Also, I thought Fred Warner probably made one of the most important plays of the game. It was early on. I remember the Packers, they were marching down the field after they had just scored. The 49ers went three and out. The Packers were moving the ball down the field once again. And Fred Warner... One of the best linebackers in the league, arguably the best linebacker in the league, I know Kevin may have a little bit of contention with that, was able to get a strip off of one of the Packers' tight ends. 49ers get the ball back, and they essentially stop the momentum that Green Bay had dead in its tracks. And that's huge when you're on the road. And really, the best thing that that defense did was to keep the 49ers in it. They kept the Packers' offense at bay, and they were able to do enough to keep it a one-possession game. And then when you look at the special teams unit for the 49ers, they were able to come up with 
essentially the play of the game by blocking that punt with about four and a half minutes to go. It may have been less time. I may be remembering it wrong. But getting that blocked punt, converting it into a touchdown, it flipped the entire dynamic of the game at that moment because it's like you said, Kevin, the Packers had been winning the entire game up until that point. And you would think that as long as the Packers get that punt off, the 49ers really hadn't shown any sort of consistency as being able to march the ball down the field to actually convert it into points. But that pl- that blocked punt was huge. And then the 49ers get the ball back. Jimmy G does enough to get them in field goal range. And then Robbie Gold knocks in the game-winning field goal in Lambeau. It's, it's a shocking win for the 49ers. They advance to the NFC Championship game. The Packers. I I don't know what else to say. You got to the NFC Championship game last year. You had home field advantage. You lost to the Bucks, And then this year, the team might arguably even be better than last year. And you have a dud in a game that they probably should have won. And if you're looking at Aaron Rodgers' career in Green Bay, there's at least a growing chance that that could have been his last game as a Green Bay Packer. And that was probably one of the worst ways to go out, losing a game that they were controlling for pretty much the entire game, and they let it slip in the last five minutes. Hey, bro, there's no other way to say it. Green Bay is down bad, and they could be, they could potentially be even down bad even more, depending on the status of Aaron Rodgers moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I we both saw the postseason or the post game interview in which they asked him about his future, and he made the comments, um, you know, a lot of expiring contracts are coming up, and if it looks to be, uh, if it looks like we're going to be doing a rebuild, I don't want to be a part of that. Basically, writing on the wall, I'm out of here. And like I said, this is this is the perfect segue into that mm-hmm. that 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 subtopic that we wanted to talk about earlier. Listen, Aaron Rodgers had a whole lot of things to say this offseason, this past offseason about issues, management, wanting to get traded. I don't want to play here anymore. I'm going to give you guys one more shot. Green Bay goes out number one seed again. Green Bay goes out home field advantage in the postseason. Green Bay goes out, gets the bye. They play a wild card entering team, a team that made it on the last day of the playoffs. Granted, a good football team nonetheless. So I'm not taking away from San Fran's success. However, You look at this and you say, playoff football in Lambeau Field, number one seed. We had a week off. Everybody's rested. Everybody's ready to go. Everybody's motivated. And they made the stupid comment. We were prepping for the 49ers the entire time um, uh, after the 49ers beat Dallas last week. So it's like, if you were prepping for them so much, why the hell couldn't you make sure that they didn't block your field goal? If you were prepping for them so much, why couldn't you make adjustments to block better on special teams for your punt team? I don't understand. Aaron had no passing touchdowns. That's his second career postseason game that's happened. You took the ball out of his hands in a lot of these scenarios because what was he supposed to do when you're sacked five times? Offensive line, played absolutely atrocious. The run game, 3.4 yards per carry on 20 touches, non-existent. Kudos to San Francisco's defense for going in there for making those stops. But Kyle, this man Aaron Rodgers got every right to be upset, man. He, the, 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 the big plays in which ruined Green Bay's chances were a blocked field goal where he's not on the field 
and a block punt where he's not on the field to make a difference. So Aaron probably feels like, yo, I did everything I could, even with a shitty offensive line. I felt like I put the team in a good enough position to hold that lead and keep the ball away from San Francisco, and it gets botched. Not taking away from the success of San Fran, and I'm, I'm giving them the full kudos because they did what they needed to do to win. And you know Robbie Gold's a dog when he is practicing kicks while Green Bay is being introduced on their side of the field. Robbie Gold, you a thug for that, bro. Like, I give you a lot of respect for that. You sound give a fuck <laughs> who is being introduced, what team it is. I'm going to go practice my field goals so that mm-hmm. when a situation like this happens, I'm ready for it. Dude. Great game by the Niners. Aaron Rodgers, I'm asking you straight up, where the hell you think this man going to go? Because he sure is shit not staying in Green Bay after this. I have no idea where he's going to go. I know there's been a lot of rumors that have been circulating in the past about him potentially going to Pittsburgh just because Big Ben is more than likely on his way out. We'll kind of see how that turns out within the next couple of weeks and the next couple of months or so. But to me... It seems to me that Aaron Rodgers has probably played his last game in Green Bay. When I look at the situation that Aaron Rodgers had going into this postseason, 13-4 regular season, you get the number one seed, you have home field advantage, you had the bye to, to rest up, get ready for this divisional matchup against the 49ers. And the best that you can do at home against the 49ers in the divisional round is 10 points. That's it. 10 points. Granted, I didn't think that Aaron had that bad of a game. Statistically, it doesn't really indicate that. But he didn't do enough. The team didn't do enough. And that's why they're going home really early compared to what I think everybody was expecting, that this team could have gone to the Super Bowl with the way that that roster was constructed for this year. This season by the Packers... And for Aaron Rodgers, it's just an abject failure. There's no other way of saying it. They are a great regular season team. They can play great through the months of September to late December, early January. But when it gets to the middle, the late stages of January, this team chokes. This team is just not built to last in the playoffs. This team just finds ways to just shrink under the pressure when it matters the most and lose games that could potentially propel them to either the next round in the playoffs or potentially for a Super Bowl berth. Some of that is on Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, in these huge career-defining moments, he comes up short. He did against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year in the NFC Championship game, and he came up short against the 49ers in the divisional round. And to me, I understand that the 49ers have a pretty solid defense. But Aaron Rodgers, with the cast that he has around him, there is no excuse to go out there and put up 10 points on the board. I understand that the weather was a factor. I understand it was cold. I understand it was snowing. But this is your home turf. You know it better than anybody else. And you let the 49ers roll in and beat you. When... The Packers should have won that game pretty decisively. I think that there are better options for him to explore. I don't know whether or not that Green Bay is going to be a viable one. 
It's like you said, there's going to be some expiring contracts. There could be some people on the move after really a shocking loss to the 49ers. I don't think really a lot of people were expecting this outside of maybe the 49ers believing that they could beat them. But, you know, Aaron's getting into his late 30s. He's playing at an MVP level. I know the the even the rumors of potential retirement are there for Aaron. But I just don't think he's going to go back to Green Bay. He barely went back this year anyway. And that's with a good team in Green Bay. After this, there's zero shot. I don't see it. I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's played his last days in Green Bay. Yeah, his days in Green Bay are done. Um, I don't care how aggressive that sounds. I don't care how bold that sounds. Uh, it's a hot take, whatever it is you want to name it. It Aaron's done, bro. Everything that happened in this offseason to what it has become now, you would have thought that this team would have been so motivated to go and at least get him to the big game. And for them to fold... It just bodes well with what Aaron had said all season long. You know what I'm saying? For whatever reason, this just this team just can't get it done. I don't know if it's a personnel thing. I don't know if it's a coaching thing. I just genuinely don't know if it's an Aaron Rodgers thing. But the point of the matter is, an MB caliber season goes to waste, and he is more than likely on the move. Now, where he will go, I will just put out a couple of teams that I believe would be a great fit. I'm going to stick with Denver. I think Denver's his best option. Obviously, we all know John Elway is good at bringing veteran quarterbacks in with a good receiving core and solid defense and having a successful, uh, I guess, experiment. They went to two Super Bowls with Peyton, winning one of them, multiple records, multiple division titles, and the Broncos have been pretty much irrelevant since Peyton left. And they do need to find a way to compete with Patrick Mahomes. What better way to compete than go out there and bring a future Hall of Famer and an MVP candidate almost every single year? Now, will they be good for? Five plus years, probably not. But that two to three year window that Aaron Rodgers will be on a team with Court and Sutton, Tim Patrick, Noah Fant, Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, Patrick Sertain, Justin Simmons. I mean, Jerry Judy. you name J- J- Jerry Judy. The, the star studded talent that is on the Denver Broncos would bode well so much for an Aaron Rodgers. They would put him in an immediate position to maybe not win the division because of Kansas City but they would definitely be in a playoff berth to where Aaron Rodgers can compete with stars around him. And I think that that's a good fit. What Kyle said also makes sense. You obviously have Mike Tomlin, the longest tenured coach outside of Bill Belichick, a very winning and successful coach, a solid young defense. And also you have the emergence of Deontay Johnson. You also have a great running back in Najee Harris. If they re-sign Juju Smith-Schuster and he remains healthy, you have a pretty solid receiving core. Obviously, the tight ends out there are also a great group of guys. So Pittsburgh makes sense. And then the last one, depending on the success of this team, I don't, I'm not going to rule out Aaron Rodgers returning home to San Francisco. It's a hometown team. He's wanted to go there for a long time. I think they have a great, great, great team. Obviously, as you can see, since they beat him, uh, Debo Samuel, Greg Kittle, Nick Bosa on the other side of the ball. I mean, you name it, they got it. Obviously, Kyle Shanahan is a great, great, great coach in terms of on the offensive side. So I will not rule out um, a return potentially to back to California for him. Again, I know Jimmy Garoppolo is doing his thing. I know they're in a position right now where they are competing for the NFC title for the second time in the last three or four years. So it looks good that Jimmy is able to at least hold on. But if you have a chance to go out there and get Aaron Rodgers, I'm dumping Jimmy Garoppolo like a sack of potatoes. But 
That's just my personal opinion. Those are the three teams I think make the most sense, and I'm pretty sure there's a whole lot of others. I know that the rumors have been circulating that Indianapolis is going to want to go after him, especially because of how close he is with Pat McAfee. And you know that Pat's going to be in his ear for the remainder of the offseason saying, hey, you know, we got a great team out there in Indianapolis. Blah, 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 blah. So I would love for that to happen. But again, that would only be a short-term Band-Aid in Indianapolis's problems go well beyond something of a uh, – two- to three-year window solution. So, um, yeah, I think Aaron's gone, and those are the teams I think he's going to go to. Yeah, I mean, obviously that story will kind of lead where it goes as we go into the offseason in the next couple of weeks. I mean, I don't think he's going to retire. I think his playing ability is too good. I mean, the guy could potentially win back-to-back MVPs with the performance that he had this season, but... To go out in this manner, it's a tough one, bro. That's that's a tough team to go back to, knowing that the team probably played better than what it did last year throughout the regular season. And yet, they find themselves exactly in the same spot after last year. And I, who would have thought that the Packers would have been out in the divisional round? I sure as shit didn't see it. I thought that they were going to possibly make it to a Super Bowl. I think a lot of people had them penciled in as a possible Super Bowl team to represent the NFC. But, bro, choke, bro. You just choke. They know it better probably than anybody. And I guarantee you this, though. If you were to leave, though, that playoff thing is going to be, is going to stick with him. That ability. 100%. The narrative is not going to move just because you change uniforms. Yeah. I mean, he clearly shows. That when it's go time in the playoffs, he doesn't perform, doesn't execute. You know, so you know sometimes it's a bad defense. I remember against the 49ers a couple of years ago, they had no shot to win that game because the defense was literally Swiss cheese. I think that was um, I think that was the year the 49ers went to Super Bowl Fifty Four, if I remember correctly. It was when they played the Chiefs. I yeah. think the Packers gave up like forty points in that game. It was like a, it was an absolute runaway, but. Who knows? I, I mean, do you do you see any chance that he goes back to Green Bay? No. Not zero. No. Not even a sliver. No. I'll take it at that. That's again, that is my opinion, and I just believe strongly that he's frustrated with the front office. I think he's done with everything he's had to overcome and go through, and the excuses and the narratives and the whole vaccination shit and. That's not going to change when you go on that team. But again, he had so much stuff happening this year that he's just going to be like, I just need a fresh start. And hopefully he could bring Devontae with him because the chemistry that those two have, it's insane. I've yeah, It's very rare when you see a quarterback and a wide receiver literally have a lockstep chemistry the way that they do. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Those Those two are literally just on the same page every game that they play in. And, um, you know, we'll kind of see how that story kind of unfolds. One more thing. Jordan Love, get your ass ready, boy. It's about to be your time. I'm just saying, better get ready. Because one game that he played this year for the Packers. um, Poop. No, didn't live up to it. But, you know, we'll see. Hopefully uh, he could learn something from – from Aaron 
but we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. But with that said, we're going to transition into our last topic of the or the, our last two topics. It's going to be in regards to the uh, Bengals and Titans game that took place on Saturday. So the first topic that we're going to go over is just the game itself. The Bengals getting a pretty surprising win over the Tennessee Titans. Well, surprising to some. They beat the number one seed. I'll give them that. But the Bengals did end the Titans season, beating them by the score of 19-16. to They won the game on a game-winning field goal. Really, that whole drive was set up after Ryan Tannehill threw his third interception of the game with about 45 seconds to go. The Bengals march into field goal range, and they end up knocking the game-winning field goal that will propel them to the AFC Championship game where they will face off against the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, this was a back-and-forth game, and even though that the score doesn't really reflect a high-scoring affair, this was definitely a fun game to watch if you were able to get a chance to watch it on Saturday, and it was definitely one of the more enjoyable matchups from this past weekend. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, Let's focus on the Titans here for this a second. Titans were the number one seed, had their bye week. Derrick Henry was back on the field for the Titans. It would seem like the stars were aligning for Tennessee in this game to go up against the Cincinnati Bengals. And I got to ask you this. With the way that Ryan Tannehill played in that game against the Bengals, do you think that his tenure with the Titans should come to an end after losing to the Bengals in the divisional round. I think he's got to go, man. He has shown all season long that he is performing uh, or digressing or regressing, whatever word you want to use to show that he's just not playing as good as he used to when he got that contract from Tennessee. I mean, three turnovers in the biggest game of the year. He has pretty much had a, a subpar year as opposed to some other years. Um, but he showed that he can't shoulder the load without Derrick Henry. And again, that might reflect any quarterback in this particular situation. When you rely and put, I don't know, like over 50% of your offense relying upon one particular player and Derrick, and he only had 3.1 yards per carry in Derrick Henry. So he came back and he was immediately bottled up. But when your quarterback's constantly turning the ball over, putting you in some bad positions to win, uh, or excuse me, some bad positions to not win, and then, you know, I think he made an amazing uh, back shoulder throw to where only A.J. Brown could get it in the end zone where he actually caught it with one hand. He shows flashes that he can be a good above-average quarterback. But in terms of consistency, I don't see that from Ryan Tannehill. And decision-making, I don't see that from Ryan Tannehill. And it showed without Derrick Henry, he didn't play um, to, 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 uh, to standard or, you know, up to par from what they needed from him. Granted, they ended up with the number one seed in the AFC, but... I don't know. I just had a rock hard, solid feeling that Cincinnati would get that upset. And I just really felt that, you know, they were going to have to just genuinely lock up Derek in what they did. And they were trying to make Ryan Tannehill beat them. Now, I know the score reflects that this ended up coming back to be a lot closer of a game than people had anticipated. There were some turnovers by Cincinnati. There were some questionable calls. There were some conversions on fourth down by Tennessee that extended some drives. But overall, I really do believe that Cincinnati can end up going into Arrowhead and knocking them out. But Tennessee being knocked out the playoffs just makes me feel pretty good. Yeah, that's your bias just because in the same division as the Colts. But, you know, the Colts did lose to the Jaguars in I'm week aware. 18. So, I mean, they I'm were 2-14 they were at the time. On national television, so. They were 2-14, the Jaguars, going into that match. I'm, just, I'm just well aware of how bad they were. 
I, I, just, I remember. It's here. It's here. Yeah, it's just, you know, Colts didn't show up that day. But, you know, it happens. No, we didn't, show up all, we didn't show up all year, though. It's fine. Yeah. But to, to talk about the Ryan Tannenhill aspect of this, he flat out sucked against the Bengals on Saturday. And really, it's it's not usually fair for me to say that one person is solely responsible for a loss. But when I look at Ryan Tannenhill, he has to shoulder most of the responsibility for that loss against the Bengals. Because, you know, when you look at the the situation that Tennessee was placed in, you know, going into the, the fourth quarter, you know, they did have that nice pass um, where he was able to connect with A.J. Brown. Amazing one-handed catch by A.J. Brown to tie that game up at 16 apiece. And, I mean, look, Ryan Tannehill was in an advantageous situation. You're in a decent spot on the field with some time left to work with to possibly set up for a game-winning field goal. And for some odd reason, I don't know what Ryan Tannehill was looking at when he threw this pass. Throws it into basically double coverage. You could even possibly say triple coverage in the middle of the field with about 30 to 45 seconds left in the game. Pass gets tipped up in the air. It gets intercepted. And the one thing that I I can't get out of my head was Ryan Tannehill literally had the check down wide open on this pass play that ended up in his third interception of the game, which ended up being really the the game-losing decision for the Titans overall. Just Ryan Tannehill is a pretty seasoned veteran in the NFL. It's not like Joe Burrow where he's only in his second year. Ryan Tannehill has been in the league for quite some time now. And to make that type of decision at the end of the game, I thought was just flat out horrific. It pretty much cost them a chance to get themselves in the field goal range. And then on top of that, the Bengals were able to take advantage of it, get in the field goal range, and shock the Titans in Tennessee. It was just a horrific performance. And it really kind of goes to show that the Titans, they really rely on Derrick Henry to carry that team. Because even though that this team was 13-4 and four at the end of the year, Ryan Tannehill really didn't show me anything that he is capable of carrying that team to more than just a first-round entrance or possibly an AFC Championship appearance. He's not capable of doing that consistently. He may do it every now and then, but it's mostly off the back of Derrick Henry and you could say the defense to a certain extent because that defense did come to play. Specifically talk about the Titans. The Titans had nine sacks as a unit. To be able to get nine sacks in one game as a unit, there's not much more you can ask for. The Titans held the Bengals to 19 points. That should be a game where the Titans should feel pretty comfortable when it's all said and done. The fact that it matters is you put up 16 points at home and the Bengals put up 19 The Titans had an opportunity to get to the AFC Championship game, and they let it slip. And really, when I look back at it, it's Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill is probably single-handedly responsible for that loss against the Bengals. I know that's harsh, and I know that's me being critical towards Ryan in that one. But three interceptions, 
You can't have that. And the last one pretty much leading to the game-winning field goal. It's going to be tough for me to see a situation where he should be back. I I don't know if Tennessee is going to get rid of him. I think for, for them, he's probably the best thing moving forward, unless they could probably try to bring in somebody else. But with Ryan Tannehill, at best, you may get an AFC Championship appearance out of him. But he is not the guy that is going to lead Tennessee to a Super Bowl anytime soon. And that's even despite having Derrick Henry in the backfield. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And, you know, I, I like Ryan Tannehill. I'm not going to sit here and bash the guy. I mean, from the journey that he started at Texas A&M and, and the falling out that he had in Miami, and then, of course, coming to Tennessee to revitalize his career and gaining that contract and, and of course, that AFC championship appearance against the Chiefs a few years back, um, we all know that he has the potential to go out there and just be a game manager. He's not somebody that's going to go win you a game. But um, – it is unfortunate that when the you know his back was against the wall and the dominoes were kind of aligned, he needed to go out there and you know get them a win. He was unfortunately unable to do so, and um, it is what it is. And I think Tennessee will be moving on now. Like you said, whether or not they bring somebody in, they draft somebody, they trade him, they cut him, and just eat the dead money. We'll see what happens. It's it's just you know we've seen some crazy things in the league. Can't rule out anything, but overall, definitely a uh, it was a good game. And I know that that's the perfect segue for, you know, our next topic, which is also going to revolve around this game involving Joe Burrow. Joe yes. Burrow was sacked nine times this game. Mm. Mm. Kyle, what? How the fuck do you win a football game like that? Somehow. Somehow. I mean, I, when you look at this game, like, in its totality, I mean – it was primarily a defensive battle. There's no other way to phrase it other than what we saw on the field on Saturday. The, the, the fact of the matter is, is that despite Cincinnati allowing Joe Burrow to get set nine times, they were able to make enough plays count to put themselves in a position to win, and they find themselves in an AFC Championship matchup with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, Kevin, to, to pose the question to you, now that the Bengals are advancing to the AFC Championship game where they will play against the Kansas City Chiefs, do you think that Joe Burrow can overcome the offensive line struggles where they gave up nine sacks to the Tennessee Titans? I really don't know. It's a great question just because I would like to say yes, because I don't believe that Zach Taylor and that coaching staff is going to let Joe get beat up as much as he did that game. Um, I know that Kansas City's defense is relatively solid in terms of rushing the quarterback. I know for a fact that that uh, it didn't bode well for them today going up against Buffalo. But I think that Cincinnati also has something to prove. I think that they're annoyed with being the uh, consistent underdog, even though they are in most of these matchups. And I think that they're going to have Joe Burrow a little bit more protected. Now, we said this, and it's always come to come full circle. Kyle and I said that drafting Jamar Chase was not the greatest thing in terms of making sure that Joe Burrow was protected. Now, Jamar ended up being a phenomenal pick statistically, record-wise, performance-wise. It's been great. It's been a, a, a fantasy relationship between receiver and quarterback. Does that fix the inability to protect your franchise? No. Does that mean they're going to win more games? Yes, but will Joe Burrow be a part of that future if he continues to get battered up like this? Nine sacks? 
That's absolutely unheard of. The only quarterback to win a game and be sacked eight-plus times was Donovan McNabb in 2003. That's ridiculous. How would the – it doesn't add up that your franchise is literally just dangling piece of meat for a, for a loose dog. Like, that, that's what it looked like. Joe could not get into a rhythm, and Joe still had a pretty good game. So for Joe to overcome all of those things, find a way to win, lead Cincinnati down the field, and then, you know, Gator Nation's own Evan, Mc, uh, Evan, Mc, Evan, Evan, Evan McPherson. Evan McPherson, I think. Oh, my God. Yes, I can't. Yeah, yes, I'm sir? literally, guys, I'm exhausted. I'm driving myself insane. Evan McPherson goes out and, and kicks a game-winning field goal for them to go out there and win. So I think that Cincinnati has the pieces around them to be successful in Arrowhead. I think that they have the potential to win. But, uh, dude, if if Joe's going to continue to get knocked around like that, it's not even about winning. I don't even know if Joe's going to make it the remainder of the freaking game if he gets hit another seven-plus times. Just not going to bode well for the man's health. And, I mean, like, if you're in a game where you're struggling and then you're getting sacked and then your defense can't stop Patrick Mahomes, that's a formula for disaster. That's just going to go out. You're just going to go out there and just shit the bed. So Cincinnati better get back to the drawing board and say, you five people – need to do fucking better. Chris Jones is an all-pro defensive tackle that immediately demands a double team. So automatically, Kansas City is already favored on that particular aspect. So I'm just hoping that Zach Taylor comes and finds a way to protect Joe, man, because I just want a good game at this point. Yeah. Hate to be the pessimist here, but I don't really see Joe Burrow being able to overcome those offensive line struggles when they go up against Kansas City. I just, I don't see it playing out very well for Cincinnati in that regard. Now, when I look at Cincinnati as a whole, they've done enough to win these playoff games that they've been in so far. They had the seven-point win against the Raiders in the wild card round. They had the three-point win against the number one-seeded Titans in the divisional round. But really, the, the standout issue for this team in my opinion is primarily the offensive line and despite the fact that Tennessee lost that game it was in no part due to what their defense was able to do that defense that Tennessee was able to do what they were able to do against Joe Burrow I thought was unbelievable now you could say well that's just because Cincinnati's offensive line is atrocious now you may be right to a certain extent but Nine sacks is unheard of, especially in a playoff game. Now, going up against KC, KC's defense can be had. Now, their pass rush can be shaky at times. It's not a consistent. It's not a. It's not a consistent point of emphasis on that defense. That their defense is primarily focused on getting turnovers. And primarily just getting them off the field as far as opposing offenses go. Now, I do think that Joe will be going up against a weaker defense than what he did against the Tennessee Titans last week. But going up against the Chiefs, it is not going to be easy. You're going into a hostile environment like Arrowhead where the Chiefs have been going to AFC Championship game after AFC Championship game. I mean, for God's sake, the Chiefs have gone to four straight AFC champion, Championship games since Patrick has arrived there. It is not going to be easy to contend with that moving forward. And 
when I look at it, I, I definitely could see Joe playing a decent game. It's just that with the offensive line playing so inept, it is going to make that task of trying to beat the Kansas City Chiefs that much tougher. And, I mean, if Joe makes a mistake or two, it's going to be over. The Chiefs know how to take advantage of somebody else's mistakes better than anybody else. And when you got Patrick Mahomes on the other side of the field to deal with, that's a nightmare situation if Joe ends up making a mistake or two. So the best thing that Joe can do moving forward, get the ball out quick, try to establish some drives where it chews up the clock, where it keeps Patrick Mahomes on the sideline, and just limit the amount of stakes that you have. If you could be able to do those things of getting the ball out quick, limiting the mistakes, have long drives that chew up clock that result in touchdowns, not in field goals, that is probably the best recipe that Cincinnati has for a possible upset against the Chiefs. Because if the Bengals were to win that game, it would be an upset. There's no doubt about that. But from what I've seen from Joe so far, he has held his own through his first two playoff games. Going into his third one, this is by far and away his biggest challenge coming up in his really short-lived career so far. And really, it is going to be quite a task for Joe Burrow to overcome these offensive line issues because they are real. And they may be one of the determining factors in whether or not the Bengals win or lose that game against the Chiefs next week. It's pivotal. I mean, we all know what's going to happen if a quarterback isn't protected, just in general. And then you're going to put that in the postseason. You're going to make this all about uh, Joe's inability to make the throws because he has no time. We all know what happens when Joe has a clean pocket. We all know what happens when Joe and Jamar Chase and the rest of those boys are clicking on all cylinders. You're going to make sure that that doesn't happen because you're not able to protect him, keep him upright, give him time to make those split and tight decisions. I, I just I don't think Cincinnati's going to go into this game and basically just be like, yo, fuck it, we've gotten this far, let's just keep it going. Now, will they be able to stop them completely? I doubt it. But I think that there will be enough adjustments to make sure that he has enough time or they will just change enough of that playbook to say, quick throws, make it happen, and find a way. Um, now, does that mean they win a Super Bowl? I don't really know. Whoever comes out of the NFC, whether that's San Francisco or L.A., both defenses are absolutely swarming. So I think if Cincinnati finds a way to make it, Joe Burrow probably dies in L.A. because there's just not a chance he's going to survive either Nick Bosa or Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller because it just – I don't believe that that's going to bode well for him regardless. Overall, Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals have to figure this out moving forward because – you cannot continue to have your star quarterback have to pick himself up off the ground and expect to win football games and then make it deep in the playoffs. Everybody's tired. Everybody's hurt. The last thing you need is for this man to get severely hurt again. Yeah. I mean, he's the franchise. He's the franchise moving forward for the Bengals. And it's going to be a tricky situation for Joe because, I mean, Kevin, I mean, we saw last year in the Super Bowl. Look what happened to Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs when. He was missing two of his starting five offensive linemen. And they had to kind of they kind of had to had switch guys, put guys in different positions that they weren't necessarily accustomed to playing. And Patrick spent pretty much the entire game running for his life. And the Chiefs got absolutely spanked. 
by the Bucks last year in Super Bowl 55. I mean, we could even kick it to this past weekend. Look at Tom Brady and the, the pass rush that he had to deal with with a pretty inept offensive line. Granted, they were dealing with injuries on their own uh, front. But when a pass rush can get home consistently, that's got to be uncomfortable for Joe moving forward. And, you know, whether or not the the Bengals win on Sunday against the Chiefs, the biggest concern moving forward for that team is bolstering that offensive line. Kevin, you know this better than anybody else. What happens when an, when a team fails to protect its most valuable asset at the quarterback position? What happens? Retirement, broken heart, pain, tears, lots of eating ice cream by yourself and blaming yourself when you have no power over it. <laughs> and, and, and who was the quarterback? And who was who was the quarterback that I'm referring to? My uh, my favorite, my man, Andrew your Luck. King. I hope you're king. I hope, my goat, my king, indeed. He he rules the land of Indianapolis in my eyes. And it's still a, a fan favorite. Still a fan favorite. I I still oh yeah, that. but but it's like I mean, there's your blueprint right there of what not to do. I mean, Cincinnati, all they have to do is basically do. What the, they all they have to do is the opposite of what Indianapolis did with Andrew Luck. They have some good pieces to work with as far as the wideouts go, as far as the skill guys go. Now it's time focus on the trenches. You have to bolster that offensive line. Whether they beat the Chiefs or not, they go to the Super Bowl, doesn't matter. That offensive line is a major issue. And if they're not careful, Joe's going to get banged up, dude. I mean, he got banged up last year, ended up tearing his ACL. You never want that to happen to your quarterback that you just drafted already has a torn ACL. And granted, they did beat the Titans, but nine sacks, that's a recipe for disaster. Because even if the Chiefs get half of that in the AFC Championship game, Bengals might get smacked in that game. So they got to play clean football. They have to protect him at all costs for them to even have a shot of winning that game. But they're in, they're in a position. And even though that this playoff year has been kind of odd, to say the least, just with the results that we've seen, road team could go in there and win, and win a game. I mean, in the divisional round, we saw three out of the four teams win on the road. So it's not impossible for Joe to do it. But the odds are set against him and the Bengals. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, that's a fact. Can't wait to see the game, man. But, guys, that's going to wrap it up for you boys. We are going to get up out of here. And, uh, you know, as always, thank you guys so very much for all the support, all the love. Um, Any way you guys have done it, whether that's audio or YouTube, like, subscribe, comment, share. Anything you can do is greatly appreciated. Uh, of course, with the AFC Championship and NFC Championship coming up next week, we will, of course, be doing a deep dive into our predictions for it, as well as some additional content, um, whether that's off-season speculation, uh, Super Bowl picks. I mean, you name it, Kyle and I are ready to do the dives, and uh, we look forward to it. But again, as always, thank you guys so much, man. Yeah, I mean, there's really not much else left for me to talk about. Just, you know, appreciate you guys supporting the podcast in any way, shape, or form that you have. Um, like Kevin said, 
uh, definitely be on the lookout. We will have another episode coming out later this week. It's going to focus on the AFC and NFC Championship matchups and really any sort of other NFL news, possibly some NBA news that pops up uh, throughout the week. Kevin and I will definitely discuss that on our next episode later this week. Kevin, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? No, sir. Well, with that said, you guys, you know, once again, just thank you guys for tuning in to the Neighborhood Podcast, and we'll see you guys later this week. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid.